Hello, Junior. Oh, man, you look like you've doubled yourself. I see twins everywhere, everywhere. You guys are looking fantastic. We have some twins here, I know. I've seen them around quite a bit. Okay, we are going to do what we did last night. So this is what we're going to do to make it go a little better. This side, you're going to walk around the whole chapel, okay? And I want you to go two by two. So start lining up two by two. You're going to do exactly what you did before, and you're going to march. At the back, over here, instead of starting in the front, you're going to start marching, go all the way around two by two, okay? Up, back row, and two by two, just start marching. There you go. You guys, in the middle, if you, a few of you want to stand up and kind of just wonder what's going on, you're scratching your head, that's perfectly fine. What in the world are they doing? March. Good. No talking. When you get back to your row, just have the seat, same seat you were on. No talking. Thank you. All right, we, we left Joshua last night. He had a very big job to do. And he was ready to do that job because God had told him that he was going to be with him every step of the way. Joshua believed that. It gave him confidence. And he was ready to go and do the job that God had wanted him to do. I want us to, um, I just am going to explain something that I struggled with when I was your age. And I heard the story of all of the conquering of nations. And them going in and claiming the land and lots of people dying. I had trouble. Remember we talked about how God loves everybody and he counts the hairs on our head. He knows when we sigh. He collects our tears in, in a bottle. And I would scratch my head as a young girl and think, well, then why kill 
all these people that are in these other nations so that Israel can move on in. I, I didn't quite get it. I, that part bothered me. So this is a little extra tonight. I thought, if you're wondering the same thing, there's a reason. All of these nations, and we're going to learn a little bit more about that, all of these nations, as Rahab, some of you remember Rahab? Rahab told people, you know what, we've heard about what your God does, and we're scared, and we know he's the true God. So the other nations had heard some things that God had done, but they still rejected the true living God, and in fact, they worshipped all kinds of things that God never intended to be worshipped, like snakes and weird kind of things. And the thing they really did that was bad was they ch did child sacrifice. So they would take their own children and put them through the fire, sacrificing their own children to their gods. And this verse says, for the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. So we did that last night. We talked about how great our God is. He's to be feared. So when he says something, he wants to be believed. And for all the gods of the people are idols. So all the gods of the Canaanites and the Hittites and all of the other nations, they were not worshiping the God of, that we worship, the God that created the heaven and the earth, the God that had created them. They refused to believe that, and God was done with them. He did, and he also wanted them wiped out because he did not want the Israelites to learn their ways and go from the true living God to their gods which was something that was a very dangerous thing for them. He didn't want them marrying them, the other nations. He did not want them to have anything to do with them. So he wanted them wiped out because they refused to believe the one true God. So we are back to our story. And I would like, I, we are in our Bible again, so... Can you open your Bible? And instead of going to Joshua, we're going to go to Numbers 13 and 14. Okay? So it's Genesis. We were at Genesis yesterday. Exodus was the second book. Leviticus is the third book. And Numbers is the fourth book in the Bible. Everything we're talking about this week comes from God's word. I didn't lay in bed last night and come up with a story to tell you tonight. Okay? Are you there? Numbers 13 and 14. This is taking us back in time a little bit. So we're studying Joshua and not necessarily in chronological order. But I want to talk a little bit about the fact that there was sin in the camp. So Joshua was in charge of all these people, but that wasn't how it originally started. Originally, God had told Moses, Moses, you are going to take 
this people that are in bondage and slavery in Egypt, and you're going to take them out of Egypt, and you are going to take them to a promised land that I am going to give you. Moses believed that. He went into Egypt. You remember all of the, the Pharaoh and all the plagues. They finally got out of Egypt. And you remember at the Red Sea, God parted. They went on dry land. And when the Egyptians decided to follow, God brought all the waters and all those Egyptians were killed. I believe that Joshua was a young man when that all happened. I think he was 20, 22, 23 years old. And he wasn't in any kind of leadership, but he saw all that. God was preparing him as a young man, and he got to see some great things that God could do. And God was going to use all that as Joshua saw it because he was going to need to use Joshua later. So chapters 13 and 14 really give us the story. You look at chapter 13, and you're going to see that Moses decided... You know what? We need to go and uh, look at one of these lands that we're going to conquer. And we're, let, let's have a look and see what it looks like. So he sends 12 men, one from each tribe, to go check it out. So they run right over there and they go over and they check out the land. And they're really amazed about some of it. They've got some big fruit over there and they've got some... Really great land, and it looks great. But you know what? Just like our theme this week, they saw some huge giants. And that scared them. Kind of like Emily was talking about today, they were getting a little worried now. Those guys were way bigger than they were. And they got a little scared. Now remember what God had said, I'm going to be with you, and every single place your feet land, I'm going to give you that land. But they got a little bit worried when they saw the giants in that land. Another thing that has happened, and we're going to talk about this a lot tonight. In all of this, so remember we talked about the fact that Joshua saw all the great things that Moses had been able to do in Egypt with God's help. All the plagues and then the Red Sea uh, parted and the people could go through on the dry land. Everybody was very happy when that happened. When they were on the other side and they looked and saw that water come upon their enemies, woohoo! they were a happy bunch. They're singing songs. It is going well for our dear Israelites. It wasn't but a few verses later that they started complaining. They were a little frustrated about what they had to eat. They were not happy they didn't have the kind of water that they wanted. And they complained and grumbled and got upset with Moses. Now here Moses had just really gone in and taken about a million people out of Egypt. And now he's kind of in charge. And all these people, even though they've seen what God has done, they are starting to grumble and complain. 
You know what happens when you start grumbling and, and complaining? You start forgetting about the great things and the wonderful things. And you know what they began to, with all their grumbling, you know, when you grumble, you're already thinking about it in your head, right? You're, you're thinking, hmm, I'm not very happy about this. Maybe when you got to camp, you were like, didn't really get the cabin I wanted. Really wanted to have a different cabin. And you had been really excited that you were on your way to junior girls camp. And now you're here. And all of a sudden, oh boy, you're kind of doing what the Israelites did. You're all of a sudden upset about something. Or maybe they, maybe you were really hoping for spaghetti and they served macaroni. We can complain about just about anything. We maybe can complain about the rain and how many of you thought it was a little hot today. Yeah, we, yeah okay, I got some hands. Uh, we can complain about the weather even though yesterday we wished for the weather we had today. All right? We, we can't. And what happens when we start complaining is we for, are forgetting God's blessing and his promises. So, when those Israelites start drumming up all their complaints, the promise that God would be with them wherever they went diminishes. And their complaints rise. And the more, if I can get some people to complain with me, oh, then I know I'm right. I am validated in my complaints. And boy, before you know it, those people are all drummed up. They're not happy with what they're eating. They're not happy with what they're drinking. And when those spies come back and they start talking, 10 of them, 10 of them give a pretty bad report. And they start talking about the giants. These people who have been complaining and really their sin in their heart. They've forgotten the promise that God had made about being with them all the time. And now all of a sudden, they're scared. Oh, these guys are telling us there's giants and there's no way I'm going. And I know God said he was going to be with us, but it's not enough for me, so forget it. I don't want to go. So that land that God said, I'm going to give you, and I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I'm never going to leave you. They forgot that. They were so busy complaining and grumbling that they forgot God's promise. And when those ten spies gave a wrong report, God was not happy. He'd already told them a promise. Remember yesterday we talked about how much God knows about us? He knows the hairs we have on our head. He knows when we cry. He knows everything. He also can hear it then, right? When I complain and grumble, God hears every single word I say. Every single time I complain about the weather, who made the weather? God provided the sun today. Tomorrow he might provide rain. No matter the weather, we are told, and I've marked down some verses that have to do with our story, and boy, God tells us all through the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, 
that he does not want us grumbling and complaining. If you turn to Numbers 14.11, so it might be on the same page you're at, or you might need to turn a page, you can see how unhappy God is. Now, the, the congregation has heard the report from the spies, and they're very angry and upset. There are two spies that give a good report, Joshua and Caleb. Remember Joshua? We're going to talk about him. Caleb. We're going to talk about Caleb tomorrow. Look at verse 10, and I think this is one of your uh, blanks. Verse 10 of Romans 14 the congregation was so upset, they wanted to stone. They wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. These are their own people who are coming with the report. They believe God's promise. And because of the grumbling and complaining and the sin that had grown in their hearts, those, the whole congregation is so angry about the good report, they want to stone Joshua and Caleb. And wow, God is not happy. Look, look at verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? They, how long will they not believe me? With all the signs I have performed among them. I have done a ton. I have parted the Red Sea. I have brought manna to eat quail to eat, good drinking water. I have provided, even when they've complained, all they need. And here we are. We're ready to go in. I told you I'm going to give it to you. You're going to get this land. And the people don't believe God. You know... There are a lot of things, I'm going to go to this slide. There are a lot of things that we can believe about sin that are lies. The devil, you know, we talked a lot about God last night, but we haven't talked a lot about Satan or the devil. And he would like you never to think about the word sin. He would like you to sin. In fact, he will encourage you and tempt you to sin. He was very happy when that congregation reacted the way they did. He wanted them to not go in and get the land. He wanted them not to believe God. Here's some lies we can believe. We can believe, I haven't sinned. I've never done anything wrong. So sin is anything you've ever done wrong. If your mom tells you to clean your room and you don't do it, that's sin. If you complain about the weather, that's sin. If you worry, the Bible says that's sin. Anybody still think they haven't sinned? Okay. My sin is not that bad. Maybe the devil would like you to think, well, you know what? There is a girl at my school, and she just swears and swears and swears. And I've never done that. So my sin's no big deal. God's not going to worry about my sin. I, you know, I rolled my eyes at my mother the other day. Everybody does that. 
You know, so the devil's going to want you to think, my sin's not that bad. Or how about, I kind of sin in private. Maybe I tack back to my mother under my breath. Or maybe when my mom asks me to do something, I do it, but I'm not really doing it on the inside. I'm doing it on the outside, but not really on the inside. I'm not hurting anybody. How about this one? My sin is not as bad as my friends. Maybe you have a best friend and you know something they do that really they shouldn't do. So you think, you know what? I, I would never do that. So, I mean, God really needs to watch her, not me. Mine isn't that bad. Satan wants you to think that. You know what? I'm really a pretty good person. I might sin once in a while, but it's no big deal. I, I'm really a, I'm a, I'm a nice little junior girl. My sin isn't that big. That's what Satan wants you to believe. But what we need to do is go to our Bible. We need to go to our Bible and find out what God says about our sin. And I love this verse because it's short. And it's right to the point. There really shouldn't be anything you don't understand about this verse. The Bible, God says, for all, every one of us, let's 300 of us in here, Sandy has sinned, you have sinned, Jenny has sinned, everybody in this room, God says, has sinned. Any question on that? No, we've all sinned. And what is the problem with that? Let's look. How many of you have dads and they go to work Monday through Friday and maybe on Friday it's the happy day of the week because they get paid. And maybe that night is pizza night because dad got paid. That's a wage. The Bible says the <coughs> wage of sin. So I've sinned. The wage for that sin is death. Someone needs to die because of my sin. Me or someone else worthy to die for my sin? And the good news of this verse is Jesus Christ did that for me. I could not save myself from my sin. There's no way. I'm a sinner. But Jesus Christ was not a sinner. This is one of my favorite verses about salvation. So Jesus Christ, he can pay the price for our sin because he has never sinned. Not one time, not one roll of the eye, not one angry thought, not one bad attitude, never complains, never worries, never. But what did he do? He became sin for you and me. He took all of our sin... If it was only in this room, it would be a lot of sin. But he took the sin of the whole world and became sin for us. He took our place so that we might be 
righteous in God's eyes because of him. You, a lot of you know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When I was eight years old, I was invited to a good news club. And there was a picture of Jesus Christ on the cross. I watched a flannel graph. That is an old school kind of thing, but... I saw red stripes on Jesus' back on that flannel graph. And I raised my hand and I said, her name was Mrs. Brown. Mrs. Brown, what are those red stripes? And she said, well, that's where they beat Jesus. And I had been going to Good News Club for quite a while. And so I said to her, I thought you told me that Jesus could do anything. He can, she said. Well, then why didn't he get himself off that cross and make it so none of those people beat him? I don't understand that. And she said, he could have called 10,000 angels and they'd have taken him out of there at his word. But he loves you, Sandy. He loves you. And he wanted to stay on that cross. He chose to stay there. Because he loved you so much, he wanted to die for your sin. And I could put any one of your names there. He loved Chloe or Missy or Mindy or Susie, whatever your name is. He loved you so much, he stayed on that cross. He could have called all the angels and they would have taken him out of there. But he loved you so much. Remember, he counts the hairs on your head. He sees all your sorrow. He loved you so much. He stayed there, and he died and suffered for your sins and mine. Praise the Lord. He raised three days later, and we can face tomorrow because he resurrected from the dead. I, want, I just want to show you this graph a little bit. I never did ask if I have a pointer here, but... All right, so man's problem, your and I's problem, we all agree, we've all sinned, right? And the penalty for that sin is we need to die. Here is hell, down here, eternal death. But God's plan, remember we talked about the Bible, and it's a big plan... Yes, man sinned in Genesis, the very beginning of the story. But through this whole book, Joshua is included in learning about different people. God had a purpose and a plan, and his plan was to send his son to die on the cross for our sins. So we can escape, we can bypass eternal death. We're not going to go to hell because of anything we did. No, no, no. It's, we are going to live with Christ in heaven when we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one is going to get to heaven. No one's going to get to God except 
through the blood of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Sometimes we think, I've got a better idea on how I'm going to get to heaven. If I'm a really good girl, maybe you thought, if I go to camp, if I go to junior girls camp, maybe that, that's a really good thing to do. If I do a whole week at junior girls camp, I bet I'm going to go to heaven. If I win cabin cleanup, wow, that'd really be awesome. I bet that would get me to heaven. Maybe I'm a really nice sister. Maybe I help my mom with my brothers and sisters. And I do, do I really like doing it and I want to be helpful. Maybe if I go to vacation Bible school. We have all kinds of ideas of what we could do to get to heaven. But those are our ideas. They are not God's. The Bible says... For by grace have you been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Nothing you can do can get you to heaven. It is a gift of God, not of works. He makes it very clear. It's not any work you can do. Nothing you do will get you to heaven. Nothing. You know why? Because we'd all be boasting. I, need, I am much more deserving to go to heaven than you are because you know what I did last week? I cleaned my room, and I cleaned out the car, and I just am the best girl in the world. And the next girl would say, well, you know what I did? Can you imagine what a mess that would be? Yeah. God has a much better plan. Some of you, you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You know you are on your way to heaven. And I've often wondered why the Lord doesn't take our sin natures when he saves us. But the very minute, the very second that you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and ask him to be your savior, God gives us a gift of the Holy Spirit. We haven't talked about that much, but I did a whole series at my church on the Holy Spirit this year. And I'm in love with him. <laughs> what the Holy Spirit does for us. But one of the greatest things he does for us when we are saved and on our way to heaven. Don't think that is the answer to the, it's the greatest thing that can ever happen to you. But don't think Satan is going to stop his work in you. In fact, I think he's going to accelerate it. He, is go he knows once you're saved, you're always saved. Once you're saved and you're on your way to heaven, he knows there's nothing he can do about that. But those of you who are saved, maybe you accepted Jesus Christ two years ago at camp. Now you're saved, you're on your way to heaven, but every day you sin. Remember those Israelites? Wow. They started complaining, and I really think that we are going to see a lot of them in heaven. I think they're complaining and the other sin in their life over ride, overrid, if I can say that right, what they really knew to be true. And that's what sin does. When we let sin go unconfessed, let's say you have a big fight with your mother, you're very upset with her, you go to bed mad and you know there's a verse that says not to do that, right? And you do it anyway, and there doesn't seem to be any consequence. Then you start off the next day, things aren't going so well, 
And you think, I'm just going to sin again and again and again. And after a while, what's written in here isn't really that important to you anymore. The principles here, uh, I've been sinning and nothing's really happened to me. So it's going to be okay. The Bible says we need to confess our sins every single day. Several times a day. I have found myself this year, since we, we did a study on um, the Holy Spirit, and one of the wonderful works of the Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin. And so I've tried to be more sensitive when the Holy Spirit says, Sandy, you shouldn't have said that. That tone was terrible. You need to confess that and go apologize. I've confessed, I have apologized more this year than I think I ever have. Because the Holy Spirit, I love the verse, I'm going to bring it up one of these days. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Even what we think is scary, God sees it and he knows about it. One last thing I want to say, and I've got a little story I want to tell you. The Bible says that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, let's say you did that today. Your name goes in the book of life. So when I was eight years old and I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior, Sandy went right, written in the book. You want your name there. I heard a story while I was driving in the car, and it's a true story, but I am changing the names because, like I said, I was driving in the car, and this was a uh, story by David Jeremiah, who I enjoy listening to. And it illustrates this book of life very well. You know, some of us, we go on vacation, and maybe we're going to stay at a motel, and our mom makes a reservation. Or maybe our dad makes the reservation. And they can make it for the whole family, right? So when you get to the motel, maybe mom's called. the Let's say the Olson family, they're going to stay there. One reservation, it gets you all into the motel. That's not the way it is with Jesus Christ. You must believe individually that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Just because your mother is saved or your dad is the pastor or your great-grandma is saved, that has nothing to do with you. You must yourself recognize your own sin. Here's a story I want to tell. There was a famous singer. She lived in Seattle. And I'm just going to say her name was Tara Lawrence because I don't remember what her name was. And Tara Lawrence was a beautiful, beautiful singer, and people that were rich would often ask her to sing at special occasions. There was a wealthy man that lived in Seattle, and he had booked the fanciest motel for his only daughter's wedding. He was sparing no expense to give his daughter the nicest, coolest wedding ever. And so, I'm going to call it the Cypress Inn. They booked a room at the Cypress Inn for the reception for this only precious daughter of this very wealthy man. 
Well, Tara Lawrence was very, very privileged to be asked to sing at this wedding. And she was very excited to go to the Cypress Inn. She had never, ever been there in her whole life. And she got a brand new dress. And she got some new earrings. And she gussied up. I think she went and got a pedicure. She was set and dressed to the nines to go to the Cypress Inn. So she goes to the wedding. And she sings. Does a beautiful job. High fluential people are there, and it's quite a privilege for her to sing at this special wedding. Then she's really excited because now her and her husband are going to drive to the Cypress Inn, and they are going to go into this magnificent ballroom and enjoy this wonderful reception in this very fancy place. She's very excited. Her and her husband go into the motel, and they are looking around. It looks so cool. She's so excited. And they go up to the third floor. That's where the reception is going to be held. And there is a man at the entrance. Name, please. My name is Tara Lawrence. He looks down the list. What was your name again? Tara Lawrence. He looks... He's looking. I don't see your name here. And she's like, oh, yeah, my name's got to be there. I was the singer at the wedding after all. He looks again. He's not been to the wedding. All he's responsible for whose name is written down. Her name is not there. Then he signals to a man in a tuxedo. And he says, would you take this man and woman to the service elevator and escort them out the building, please. Their name is not written down. And Tara Lawrence, as they're being escorted out, she's looking at the goblets. She's looking at the white tablecloths. She's looking at the beautiful flowers. She's looking at the beautiful cake. And all it is is a glance. She's being escorted to the service elevator and down the floor, down to the bottom floor, and out to their car they go. Her husband is not saying a word because he knows that she is feeling very, very disappointed. They get in the car and he starts driving and he said, honey, what happened? Well, she said, and she's crying, an RSVP came, but I was just so busy, I... I I didn't send it in. And I guess I thought since I was the singer that they'd let me in anyways. I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. And he never said a word. See, Tara Lawrence had her own idea about how to get into that reception. And that really hit me hard. And you know... Is disappointed, and she was a Christian. And she said, you know, as disappointed as I was about not being able to go to that fancy reception, I thought, oh, my goodness. I'm so thankful my name is written in the book of life. To miss an evening activity, though fleetingly disappointing, is nothing 
compared to not having your name for eternity written in the book of life. Don't think about your own ideas of how you can get to heaven. The disappointment will be anguish. There's going to be people, the Lord says, that think that they're going to be getting into heaven. They've done a lot of things. They've prophesied in your name. They've cast out demons. They've done many wonders. And the Lord's going to say, go. I never knew you. Your name is not written in the book. Don't depend on your own ideas. If you believe Genesis 1-1, believe the rest that's here. God loves you. He sent his son to die on the cross for your sin. He has paid it all. It's a gift to you. You must decide for yourself to accept the gift.